0: Welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute IMPRI in New Delhi Namaste and good evening, everyone. I Ritika Gupta, Assistant Director at IMPRE Impact and Policy Research Institute, Prabhavewam Niti Anusandhan Sansthan, New Delhi. Extend my heartiest welcome to you all to IMPRE hashtag Web Policy Talk. We are here for a special talk on women workers in India, informality, survival, and resilience by Professor Shruti Tambe as part of the series The State of Gender Equality hashtag Gender Gaps, organized by IMPRE sent Impree Gender Impact Study Center. We have with us Professor vidhuti Patel to chair this deliberation. Ma'am is an eminent economist and feminist and former professor at Tata Institute of Social Sciences, Mumbai. We also have with us Dr. Nandita Mondal as discussant. Ma'am is faculty at the Center for Labor Studies at Tess Mumbai. Welcome Ma'am. With the permission of our chair, I would now like to introduce our speaker for today. Please go ahead thank you ma'am i am delighted to introduce to you professor tambe ma'am is the professor and head department of sociology center for advanced studies at savitribai phule pune university pune ma'am serves as the director of euroculture program sponsored by erasmus mundus at savitribai phule pune university from 2000 ma'am is an active member of international sociological association especially of rc47 and rc32 at present, she is the editor of newsletter of RC47 and member of their board. At the regional association level, Mam has served as the member of managing committee of Marathi Samajshastra Parishad in Maharashtra and also as the editor of Marathi Samajshastra Sanshodhan Patrika for three years. She was on the editorial board of newsletter of Indian Sociological Society Professor Tambe has been involved in numerous collaborative international research projects, including one sponsored by SSHRC uh, in Canada and the other funded by Toyota Foundation in Japan. Thank you, ma'am, for accepting our invitation. With these introductions, I request Vibhuti, ma'am, to give her opening remarks and then invite Shruti, ma'am, for her lecture. Thank you. Yeah. Ma'am, over to you.
1: Yeah, it gives me great pleasure to share podium with professor shuti tambe and dr nandita mandal both of them highly committed and uh, senior uh, academician in the area of labor studies and uh, sociology of, uh, of labor now the topic women workers in india informality survival and resilience has gained tremendous uh, importance in the current context of uh, covid-19 pandemic because we know that the overarching concern with respect to women uh, workforce participation of in the 21st century have been changing labor processes, labor and employment relations, labor standards in different sectors of the economy. Only 6% of the workforce of the world economy is in the organized sector with relatively better standard of social security and social protection. The rest of the workforce faces back breaking long hours of dead-end work without any chance of upward social or economic mobility. They remain mostly in the precarious working situation. There is south in the north, and we also say that there is a north in the south. It is not only in Africa, Latin America, or Asia that women workers face inhuman work condition and below subsistence wages, but even the non-white workers, self-colored women in the workforce, in the industrialized world also face same predicament as a footloose and casual workers in the economy. All hire and fire policy of the state favors the employers. Arbitrariness in the socially constructed labor market, which perpetuates intersectional marginalities of caste, class, race, ethnicity, and gender. We see that the world capitalism has found. Colored women as a last colonies. Uh, the term coined by uh, renowned sociologist, social anthropologist, uh, Maria Mies, where in her book, uh, "Capitalism: Capital Accumulation at a World Scale. In the poverty group, self-employed women end up do, doing self-exploitation as returns to their hard work are deplorably low, they they stretch themselves too much and uh, even in the sunrise industries such as information technology, business process outsourcing, knowledge process outsourcing, medical transcription, transliteration, most of the women are recruited in the lowest rung of hierarchy as a data entry operators without any chance of promotion. Technology control gig economy is also even more exploitative because here even the employment is, uh, employer is invisible. So where do you take your grievances? A couple of women uh, as CEOs or uh, chief uh, executive officers of financial sector or Fortune 500 companies are showcased as symbol of empowerment of women, but large majority of professionally qualified women are stuck as middle or lower level Carder in the corporate sector, and I think many of them, nearly forty percent of them, have already lost their job under the pandemic over the last 15 months. Reasons of women in the boardroom across the industries worldwide is negligible. Apparently they are better placed but are not getting level playing field due to patriarchal bias. Segmentation in the factor market and product market doesn't allow self-employed women and women entrepreneurs to upscale their venture. Masculinity of capital is inclined towards investing resources only in the quote unquote old boys club uh, and uh, also operate on a caste, religion and ethnic identities. In spite of such adversities, we have also seen, and I think Dr. Vasrutti Tambe and Dr. Nandita Mondal will bear with me, that the networks such as work, Women Working Worldwide, HomeNate, Cow Committee for Asian Women, VIGO, uh, rural and urban working class women united their united front in, say, Gabriela in Philippines, or Green Belt Movement in. Uh, of, uh, of farmers in Africa, domestic workers union in several countries, including in India, women's cooperatives such as Annapurna Mahila Mandal, women trade unions such as Self Employed Women's Association, women's banks such as Mahila, Mandesh Mahila Sakari Mandali uh, Bank in India have served as role models for individual women as well as women's collectives to challenge the status quo. Experiments have been made with women in development, women and development, and gender and development perspectives. How to survive in a neoliberal, neoconservative economic system has been a mind-boggling issue,s confronting labor economists, trade union activists, development thinkers, gender studies scholars, and international labor organization of the UN it is in this context that today's special lecture by professor shuti tambe as a renowned sociologist and social movement activist gets tremendous significance and also we have an equally uh, uh, committed and equally senior uh, labor labor sociologist and social work, uh, social work degree holder dr nandita uh, mondal to discuss this issue over to dr professor shuti tambe
2: thank you so much uh, professor uh, vibhuti patel i'm i hope i'm audible
1: yes you are yeah you
2: are audible. so uh, thank you very much uh, for giving me giving this excellent introduction and i must also thank impri and professor arjun kumar the director of impri for giving me this opportunity to share my thoughts with you as professor vibhuti patel very rightly told us in the post pandemic period it will be extremely important to ponder on the issue of women workers in India. We all know that the size of the Indian market and the size of the Indian economy in terms of again, participation of labor and consumption figures is always, always talked about. But the point is, are we uh, not really considering the issue of uh, women workers on ordinary women who participate in the labor market and who have been working. In fact, we all know that the debate about Indian workers is in terms of uh, the caste, class, ethnicity, religion, and gender, uh, how they intersect in the whole uh, uh, you know, scenario. And I would like to just bring to your notice that women in India have been working anyway in whichever way one wants to say. And we know that because of feminist activists and feminist economists, for the first time since 1991, in India, we started raising the question in, the, uh, in our nationwide uh, activity of uh, our census that do women in the family work? And when earlier, the question was, does your wife work? Uh, People said no, because they simply thought uh, employment, gainful employment outside household is only what can be called as work. And recently, after 1991, this rethinking and reformulation has come into being where work is now redefined uh, with feminist interventions to include household contribution of women, women's contribution to farm labor, family farm, women's contribution to dairy, horticulture, and so on related to the family. Or in the urban context, uh, for example, a woman's contribution in her uh, sabji ka thela that her husband owns, or a woman's contribution in the family shop is also now considered as uh, work. So with these changing notions of work, we are now going on to consider how to look at women's work in India. And uh, one of the key questions that I'm trying to uh, really grapple with is it's okay that uh, now right from the international level to the Uh, Maharashtra level, uh, it is accepted that informal sector is the most important uh, sector that offers employment, especially to women. And therefore, the starting point for my uh, whole journey of grappling with this issue of women workers in India, informality, survival and resilience, was really this category of worker the way it is defined in sociology, I always found it very problematic. And the way in which work is defined and the worker is defined traditionally in mainstream sociology really throws a lot of epistemological challenges and theoretical challenges at all of us. Thankfully, in the last five years, there's been a lot of reformulation of the category of labor, the category of work, post-2008 economic crisis and depression in the world, there has been some reformulation even from the quarters of economists. And because of that, now slightly the picture looks less hazy. But nonetheless, when you are doing your quote-unquote fieldwork in any Indian city or village, this particular uh, question becomes very, very important. And I'm particularly saying it because I know that students and uh, teachers are here in the audience. The problem is when we define work only as a gainful employment outside of the house, the borrowed definition from the Western world, then most of work becomes invisible. And we know as it is with the combination of caste, uh, gender, patriarchy, and neoliberal policies, these kinds of factors come together, macro factors come together, then again, women's work is invisibilized in more than one ways. Another problem that I was facing as a researcher was, cutting edge research was continuously talking about workers' movements as, uh, you know, not there at all, end of movements, that era is over. And on ground, you can see that informal sector women workers are so resilient in more than one ways. And are we really as scholars, researchers, uh, being honest to the reality or are we kind of blinded, blindfolded by our own theoretical conceptual concerns was my second question. And thirdly, of course, it's not so easy to talk about women's journeys and their resilience and their survival, uh, their struggles for survival in black or white uh, ways. It's not a binary situation at all. There are so many challenges and dilemmas that as a researcher and as an engaged researcher, someone who as Professor Patel uh, very generously told you in the introductory remarks, someone who is herself a feminist and an activist in on ground for last 30 years, I always found that the situation is not where you could just have your conclusions and said, this is this and go ahead. But the situation is really ripe with possibilities. And there are so many ways in which one could think of these issues. So in a sense, this talk today is something where I'm sharing my own questions that are uh, really in my mind as I go ahead on my research journey. Let's, uh, 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 let's look at one particular thing. And I would like to really uh, talk to you about the case of domestic workers in particular. When you look at the example of domestic workers, you think about uh, internationally renowned scholars like Jan Breman, who have developed with their long-term research, uh, decade-long research about the uh, definitional issues regarding urban workers in India. And what does Jan Breman tell you? Uh, In his laboring poor in India, he tells us that the labor elite in India are there who have their organized sector, fixed pension, social security, uh, protected jobs. Then there are petty bourgeois, subproletariat, which is the largest group, and the paupers or lumpen proletariat. Particularly, I have included all of this today because, in the wake of the COVID 19 pandemic, I think it's extremely important that even these categories have become extremely porous and interchangeable. With COVID-19, the way informality is really expanding across sectors and across scales, one thinks that the subproletariat and the pauper slash proletariat category on ground is now seen as almost interchangeable. Um, the other part I wanted to also bring to your notice is what is the big picture? about the numbers. The number of female workers in India, if you look at the uh, 2011 census, then you will find that the figure looks very big. And the aggregate figure is female workers in rural India being 128.8 million, and the female workers in urban India being 28.0 million. And again, my earlier question stands valid here, are we in some sense not counting work as work? Or are we really not taking the feminist insights the sociological insights into um, our consideration when we are asking the questions for the census data collection. And I'm particularly interested in flagging this today because this is 2021 and the census operations might start again in India. We need to again be very vigilant about how uh, female workers in India are being calculated and counted. What are the uh, questions? that the enumerators in the field asking and what kind of training of the uh, enumerators is going on. But the learning from these aggregate numbers is, and we all know that cultivators, there's a huge number. So in farming, in mining, in forestry, in fishery, of course, in formal sector, women are in large numbers. And if I may remind you, then you will know that uh, women's work and informality is almost synonymous. When you go on the ground and when you look at the experiences and you analyze your data, either quantitative or qualitative, you get to know that household work, agricultural work, dairy and allied work farm labor, construction labor, seasonal work, all of this is essentially in the informal sector. It is only of late that the UN and ILO also is somewhere celebrating informality when formality or formal work is considered to be not available, not amenable, not, you know, it's not possible to give work. And therefore, somewhere uh, at a juncture when post-1991, the LPG policies have also really affected our socioeconomic fabric in country after country, you find that informal labor suddenly becomes a very positive category. I remember Uh, and I'm sure Professor Vibhuti Patel will also remember an important contribution from uh, Nirmala Banerjee, the famous feminist economist from India, who edited a book long ago titled informal uh, uh, sector women. And in that book, when you read the uh, different case studies and different aspects of informal sector work, or the uh, early nineties when Renana Zabwala Elabhat and others edited, wrote at different platforms about informal sector work, there was still a kind of negative connotation attached to the concept of informality. Because the state could not industrialize enough, there were these large number of uh, agricultural jobs or jobs in fishery, jobs in forestry and so on and informal sector work in the urban arena was also tried to be in a sense uh, you know shoved under the carpet because it was a sign of somewhere failure of the state to industrialize enough but 1991 comes with its uh, you know package of lpg and you find a different kind of celebration of uh, labor market segmentation on gendered lines, and also a very positive kind of connotation attached to the whole notion of informal sector work. So in reality, anyway, women's work and informality was almost synonymous. Now it gets state sanction, it gets international sanction, and informalization becomes one of the important preferred parts of creation of employment. And this is the time when labor market segmentation theorists have looked at especially the intersections between gender and ethnicity, even at the international level or immigrants and informality in a more serious way. In the urban areas, we observed that urban poverty becomes an important issue post 2000. And by 2005, 6, 7, Government of India uh, is establishing centers to study urban poverty. And sociologists and economists are showing data, ground level evidence that basically rural poverty is getting migrated to uh, become urban poverty. And you find during this particular period, great expansion of urban informal sector because of a number of reasons uh, i don't think there is enough time here to talk about all of that but i would just summarize by saying that in the urban uh, scenario you find construction work domestic work small scale units home based work health sector education sector it and ites and allied you know housekeeping security etc those kinds of sectors uh, are really where women are being employed in large numbers now hospitality sex work sex work had always been employing women we all know women have been in the sex work and uh, Domestic work and sex work had been almost like the last resort for any destitute family. So women from very destitute kind of situations uh, were entering these particular fields uh, 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 in a distressed situation. And as the agricultural crisis in India worsened, obviously there was a great expansion in the early 90s in all these fields. Now, let me bring you to uh, this, therefore, the whole uh, aspect of informality also being noticed, noted, acknowledged, and analyzed by the governments. So late 1980s and early 1990s, visibility of women in the informal sector was something that scholars always came across. And there were a lot of books, studies, articles, seminars, And one particular government report, as we all know, chaired by Ila Bhatt of Seva, uh, was about informal sector women workers in India, titled Shrama Shakti. This was published in 1989, which for the first time gave us some reliable data to look at. In the rural areas and in the urban areas, what is the nature of women's informal sector work, what exactly they do, where do they come from, how much are they paid, and what are the interconnections between formal and informal sector. At the same time, we find that uh, the report brought out the intersectionality of caste, class, and gender in very complex, typically Uh, uniquely Indian complex ways in terms of informal sector workers. Uh, The other thing that uh, this particular report really highlighted in a major way was lack of acknowledgement of informal sector, women workers as workers. And that is why some time ago, as I mentioned uh, in 1991 census, there was this huge debate about, we must redefine the notion of work, the definition of work in the census. And women uh, should be asked questions in a different way because acknowledgement of women's work as work was really demanded for. Uh, It was also the same time when the National Perspective Plan for Women was published in India and recognition by government uh, about women workers on a large scale, the complexity of women's work scenarios and uh, the large numbers all came around that time. And as I reminded you, this was also the turning point for not just India's economic policies like LPG package came in 1991, but this is also the turning point for our republic's very objective of being the democratic socialist nation state. And that is why you find that Shramashakti Shakti and national perspective plan for women today uh, look like some very distant kinds of events and processes, as if we don't even know what it is all about because the continuity somewhere was broken with the LPG and the aftermath of LPG. Let me turn to the second aspect of my uh, deliberation today, and that is what is the whole issue of survival? How do informal sector women workers negotiate with survival issue? And here, one comes across a combination of uh, traditional or age-old strategies of survival and very creative ways in which women think about survival. So in rural areas, for example, we know that in India, even today, community resources are drawn in difficult times. When there is a gradient crisis, there is a flood, or there is a drought or there are are hard conditions for years where agriculture has failed due to some reason or the other, then community resources have been being drawn. But the other part we many times forget to flag is PDS and the role of PDS. And in Maharashtra, we know since 1974, it was employment guarantee scheme alongside the caste, village, household, community, Etc. Strategies. So the new and the old were utilised by informal sector workers in very creative ways. The developmental projects also offered some employment uh, right since 1960s. And with capitalist agriculture in some pockets in India, at least we know that the tenor of employment in agriculture changed. Uh, at least for some periods in some pockets. I will not generalize, but certainly in some places, the patterns of employment change quite a bit. At the same time, we also know that one of the major survival strategy was also hope. And that hope was always given to women workers in the informal sector by movements and struggles of landless laborers in India. Where, for example, I'll give you one case in Maharashtra, a major case, of course, is where capturing and tilling of common grazing lands was a major movement following the uh, very, very veteran Dalit leader, uh, Dada Sahib Gaikwar. So uh, ownership over land and women, you know, Uh, leading these struggles, for example, in Nagar district, in Aurangabad district, women have been at the forefront of uh, capturing the land, the grazing lands and converting into lands which could be tilled and then till them for years together, paying the fines to the government, getting brutally beaten up by the police or the local gundas, or the powers that be being arrested by the police for uh, trespassing and you know illegal capture of land, etc. But all these struggles were also providing windows for survival for uh, thousands, at least. In neoliberal times, we find that with liberalisation and privatisation, PDS started shrinking slowly and post-1995 we know that how it has become a really really small affair and the EGS has become limited community resources have also depleted and in this context we find mass migrations to urban areas Uh, Seasonal migrations, distress migrations, floating populations increasing in big cities, and this is the time when service work also expands and absorbs women. So retail chains, educational sector, service work in different ways has then absorbed women workers in some way or the other. Now, in sociology, you might know that in Indian sociology, at least one of the very vibrant areas of discussion and debate has been tradition and modernity as a paradox, as a a kind of tug of war. And we find that there are scholars who would claim that with modernity, tradition is really becoming weak. And there are scholars who have been showing evidence how tradition is reinvented or is revived whenever need be. Now, in these kinds of uh, very contradictory kinds of developments and arguments, and there's a long, long, long discourse for decades now around tradition versus modernity, I would really argue that if we look at the case of um, an organized sector of women workers in India, we find that tradition and modernity have both contributed to the serious uh, crisis uh, for these uh, women's survival. So there are expectations that are defined by the tradition and there are expectations that are defined by modernity. And there, are, there is the reality or the constraints in the real life that are also put by tradition, and there are constraints in the real life uh, by modernity. I would explain what I mean by this eventually when I take up the case of women domestic workers in Maharashtra. So what are those structures that really put restrictions on women workers' uh, entry into the job market, their mobility chances, Or their chances of being there steadily and constantly in the job market. And we find that caste patriarchy community uh, are, and when I say community, I mean religious values, caste values, especially for upper caste and uh, OBC uh, women. The value structure itself forms the, uh, you know, subordinating kind of framework. And then religious values as well, and religious discrimination, caste-based discrimination for Dalit women, discrimination for Adivasi women. I club all of that in the term community here for the sake of a slide presentation. But obviously, one knows the nuances in all these and the differences and the entanglements. So the community structures and the value structures alongside the material and symbolic restrictions put by caste system are clubbed with patriarchal regional notions. So up north, the, the the expectations of patriarchy are somewhat different than the expectations of patriarchy in the down south. And in every, when I say north and south, again, it's not blanket term but within that also we know as uh, vibhuti ma'am was reminding us north within the south and south within the north i think in case of north india and south india also there are pockets which are uh, which are showcasing different kinds of cultural values and patterns But broadly, what I'm saying is at the macro level, there are these constraining structures, the macro factors that really constrain you. And with modernity, the hope was that modern education will provide new livelihood opportunities. And that would inaugurate new communities as well. What is the reality? I think with the 2020 situation of COVID-19 pandemic, if you recollect, those lacks and lacks of uh, informal sector workers walking back home, I think we have got an answer, at least for the last two years, that whenever urban economy would fail, whenever there is any macro level factor controlling your participation in the informal sector economy, people have to fall back upon your caste communities, your village communities, your kinship organization, and religious institutions. Much to our dismay and disappointment, this is what we have seen through the last 15 months, and I think now scholars should really pay attention to these phenomena. How come the micro-level realities of our communities are controlling our macro-level participation and uh, 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 chances of survival, so to speak. Uh, Going to the third and last part in my presentation today is the possibilities of resilience. And we all know that informal sector women workers show resilience in many different ways all the time. The question is, of course, whether resilience is by choice or resilience has to be there because there's no other way out. So in a modern democratic nation state like India and where the social imaginary of becoming a Vishwa guru and a superpower in the 21st century uh, is really coming through for the women formal sector workers on ground is the question we are really grappling with. And what is my submission here? I submit that informal sector women workers have always shown resilience. But we know that caste, patriarchy, religion, ethnicity, and now neoliberal policies have been constraining their ability to be resilient. Today in the sustainable development goals, micro resilient communities is one of the most important things But the question is that loss of livelihood, threat to local ecological systems, privatization of water and other essentials, and militarization, for example, even the forest department is now believing in fencing the land on a massive scale across India. This kind of militarization that ordinary people are continuously experiencing, how does that limit The resilience of women workers. And with this in mind, I would say that unfortunately, though workers, women workers are showing resilience and creativity in their everyday lives, what we find is because of the retreat of the democratic socialist ideology, uh, controlling the state, guiding the state, and the withdrawal of the state in these neoliberal times, uh, what we find is there's no clear and constant state support coming for women. Informal sector women uh, in the 1990s and early 2000s drew their strength for resilience, for example, from microfinance groups, self-help groups, And we celebrated those millions of small uh, savings groups across India that women so eagerly came out of the houses formed and started working on, started producing small goods for the markets, local markets at least. But sure enough, we find that as neoliberalism expands, uh, the support for those kinds of networks has waned. So the whole strength that women had shown and their resilience for uh, coming out for their rights and for their survival and for community building in terms of microfinance groups, self-help groups, the bachat ghat as it is called in Marathi. Uh, constant support from the state did not come and neither did industry and the corporate capitalist entities supported it. In fact, this was thought, in some way to be uh, a competitor and we could see that in spite of all the resilience and the potential, it could not go ahead. Early on with uh, Manarega and ICDS and food security, we did again see some kind of chances and windows for resilience of women and a number of campaigns and movements around those things. But again, as 2020s have arrived, there is slightly a question mark about what could be uh, the new sources of resilience. And I would flag a few. Uh, Last year and this year, we have seen that women uh, have migrated back to villages and those in villages have again gone back to communities. And the situation with patriarchal control is so violent that finally, WHO had to come up with the new notion of shadow pandemic, domestic violence increasing, the marital rapes increasing, atrocities, abuse uh, on a very wide scale being observed, et cetera. But in spite of it, we find that in some way women have fallen back on community structures. And therefore, as scholars, we'll have to now think about how to really theorize about communities in this new context. Mostly in the post-pandemic period, I don't think, and many scholars have already written about it, including Professor Vibhuti Patel, that the post-pandemic economic scenario might be quite different than it was earlier and therefore the source of support and resilience, would that be communities as well? One will have to check. Civil society had of course been a source of resilience, for informal sector women workers for at least last 30 years. Since 1990s, there have been all India, uh, large scale mobilizations of women workers. And we found that the the pension and the other umbrella legislation, et cetera, all those campaigns have really given a lot of hope and resilience to informal sector women workers. Collective memories have also been source of resilience as Narmada Bachawan Dolan has proved to us that collective memories of living by the river, the same folk culture, the inherited legacies of certain topographies, ecologies, and therefore certain symbolic worlds had also been the sources of resilience. Collective goals, right, ghar banau, ghar bachao, or the case that I'm going to very briefly touch upon is the domestic workers unions in and associations in Maharashtra. You find that collective goals, which are not just economic, but even cultural and political, those also give resilience to women. And then networking that has happened right to life, right to work, right to food, right to education. These networks, the way they were you know, strengthening uh, women workers, giving them hope for mobility of their next generation has also been a great source. All the campaigns for civil rights, various pockets, uh, various parts of India, we know that there have been campaigns for various kinds of civil rights, movements, agitations, and in those also, those uh, uh, windows for resilience were opened. One interesting example is, of course, the Kudubashri in Kerala, which we know two uh, consecutive floods in Kerala and the COVID pandemic also, the Kudubashri network of women's groups was immediately galvanized and mobilized by Kerala government. So I think the new communities could also be a source of resilience, caste, kinship, village. Of course, women have fallen back upon those last year and this year in the time of the lockdown, pandemic lockdown. But I think more than that, we, we should not forget that the resilience has also come from interesting new communities. It could be the Asha workers collectives. It could be the Anganwadi worker unions. It could be the domestic worker unions. It could be large unions of, for example, in UP, the uh, Sanktin Sanghatan, Kisan Majdur Sati Sanghatan, you know, these kinds of new communities have also provided resilience support to uh, women. Let me stop uh, in a few minutes by just uh, giving you one example from Arashtra, which is of the women domestic workers unions and associations. And I have done a detailed study uh, for years of these unions and associations, and because of their campaigns, we all know that Maharashtra was the first state to pass um, an act in 2009 uh, for the benefits of uh, women uh, domestic workers and uh, these unions and associations had thousands of members. And you can see in the picture, uh, conventions like these were organized in many cities. This particular picture is from Nagpur under the leadership of Rupa Bodhi and Vilas Bhongade. A huge convention was organized in Nagpur of women domestic workers. And what were their uh, demands at that time? Old age pension, health benefits, annual increment, right to food through bpl status and gratuity in all in all you find that the the direction the orientation of the whole campaign was to consider the state as adversary and as a strategy not to antagonize the uh, uh, middle class uh, uh, women employers and the male employers as adversary i would just remind you that by 2008 Once the central policy and bill was passed, and then in Maharashtra, a bill was passed in 2009, in large numbers, women domestic workers registered with the government. And the welfare board for women domestic workers was also passed, uh, sorry, established, which uh, tried to help women. And I would end now because my time is already up. I would just say that though uh, I could see that the struggle and the case study of women domestic workers associations and unions as informal sector women workers resilience shows us that once the board came into existence, the powers that be became very active. And suddenly on the welfare boards, the um, uh, party in power immediately nominated people who were not connecting with the struggle at all, but what did the women get? And one of the most important thing is, it was not just that uh, they were acknowledged as workers by the government, but even in the public sphere and in the general public, acknowledgement as women workers came for the first time. Uh, You will see in one of my pictures in the slides, an old lady very proudly pinning her uh, Molkarin Sanghatna identity card because she feels so proud that she has a photo ID. And she's a worker acknowledged by the government of Maharashtra. With this, women negotiated in many interesting ways. Showing their iCards, cards, they have gone to police stations when their husbands or their young sons were rounded up for no reason. They use their iCards cards to negotiate with their employers when, Uh, a theft allegation, for example, was made. They use their iCards in various places like the state transport to demand some subsidies. And this is how I feel. It is not just uh, when there is a community organization, when there is a union working for you, issues like domestic violence were addressed, issues like illicit liquor were addressed in the bastis, in the wards and citizenship claims of these women, in terms of going to the police station, fighting for their rights also became quite evident. And with this, I would just end by uh, raising a few points. What could be the post pandemic scenario? And I know none of us really believe in historical ifs and buts, but we know that precarity is going to be more widespread withdrawal of labor protection courts is just round the corner, we know. And because of that, uh, whether women informal sector workers would get the same kind of protection as they enjoyed before is a major, major question. At the same time, we know that capitalism itself in danger, and many scholars are writing about it with the pandemic, what happened uh, with big corporations and big capitalist ventures. So there are now a lot of predictions and speculations about whether service sector itself would have a downhill journey. If that happens, then how do women informal sector workers really find their resilience? And I end by saying that community struggles, uh, struggles by informal sector workers unions, and building up micro resilient communities as SDGs also talk about, could be one of the future sources of some optimism for informal sector women workers in India. In short, to end with, I would say, uh, it seems inevitable even today that in the COVID pandemic, men and women without much of means had to fall back upon their caste community their religious communities, their kinship for survival. So those old communities have not died, it was very clear. Though we know it generally in the political arena and in the socio-cultural fabric of our country, in fact, caste, religion, and kinship is making its mark even more boldly than before. But at the same time, if we could turn the side and try and see whether the same communities could be reformulated uh, with the help of resilience of women workers and new communities like kudubashri like Women Domestic Workers Union, Anganwadi Workers Union, and the old communities. In some ways, if we could reformulate these, then probably the issue of women's informality, survival, and resilience could be thought about in new ways. Thank
3: you. Your
1: PPT was not shown. (laughs) Okay. Oh my God. Oh my God. I thought
3: that. uh... We did not even receive it, Uh, but we will upload it on the event page. Or if you like to show it, you can just uh, send it to me. I will bring it on the screen while we will have the discussion.
2: Sure. You know, the moment we began, the electricity in my house had switched off. Yeah. Maybe that's I why the email uh, yeah. couldn't go or something. I'll check it again. I'm yeah. so sorry, Professor yeah. Patel, for this. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: Because they are writing in chat uh, that they wanted to see yeah. those pictures and no.
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, ma'am, I will bring it, send it to me. We can yeah. go to Nandita ma'am and go with the yeah. ma'am. When you yeah. come back again yeah. for the response, I will get it. Yeah. Ma'am, over to you, please. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So, very uh, lucid, erudite presentation by Professor Shruti Tambe. You weaved in social theories and practical experiences, and so many important aspects of the political economy of uh, how informalization and the celebration of informality is uh, camouflaging the actually very very. Uh, de- a deplorable situation, condition in which the women workers are managing, and how the collective struggle and the resilience that they have developed through various forms of collective endeavor, whether it is at the community level or it is in the form of cooperatives, in self help groups, who this thing, trade union, forming their own trade union. But I think most important thing that remains is non implementation of 2008 uh, protection of uh, workers. Uh, 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 for social security and social protection of informal sector workers. Nobody is talking about it in spite of such a mammoth task done by Dr. Arjun Sen Gupta committee. Not only that, that poor labor codes are going to break the back of workers who are already suffering so much. And we have seen how 12 states in our country have already abandoned the 48 labor uh, protective legislations with the working class of India gained over 150 years through collective bargaining. So it's the challenge is really very, very, uh, it is an uphill task to bring back at least even the whole scenario, leave aside getting something new. So, so the way you say it, that it is a very, very, uh, trying times for the working class movement and women uh, workers in particular. Now I request Dr. Nandita Mondal to give her response. She has been uh, in the Center for uh, Labor Studies and she has herself done her doctorate on women uh, fisher folks in uh, Mumbai City and has been associated with several trade union uh, organizations and this workers organizations. Yeah. Over to Dr. Nandita
4: Mondal. Yeah. Thank you, ma'am. Am I audible to everybody? Yes. yes, ma'am. Okay. okay, thank you very much. Thanks uh, to IMPRI and uh, Professor Bibhuti Patel to uh, give me a chance to be part of this uh, discussion. And it's really an um, uh, interesting uh, session that has been delivered by Professor uh, Sruti Tambe. Thank you very much. It was very thought-provoking. Since I'm being given the responsibility to be the discussion for this, let me start with uh, my job here. Uh, Professor Tambe's uh, lecture today, based upon three clear, uh, distinguished points, that is, informality, which is, uh, which is, um, I mean, which is, I mean, which is almost simultaneous with women's work paid and unpaid. I want to put it within that quote that paid and unpaid and always it is being plagued uh, with that, that informality which is associated with women's work, which is paid and which is unpaid and why is it paid and why is it unpaid and why that unpaid work is not being given any recognition any time. And Professor uh, Tambe rightly started her talk with, Uh, that puzzled definition of work. And uh, rightly, she has uh, mentioned about the chronological journey that we are having where state itself has been taken part in defining work and which is very much uh, into the debate always until 2000, uh, I think, uh, as she rightly pointed out, that 1991, there was the first question that came up: Do we reflect women's work properly? And I think in uh, that context, while she mentioned about Sramasakti's con- contribution, I was just thinking that it will come. And she explained that was the first, uh, I think, hallmark for the women's work to be uh, recognized into the, uh, I mean, inside the state of uh, India, where we first get into that situation where everybody, all the authors inside that Samashakti had reported and reflected that how women's work is important and how it should be given the recognition. Uh, of course there were challenges and there were dilemma in the very beginning of these central studies and many of the scholars academicians and feminist economists they raised their voices there were many more researches that had happened and which reflected uh, and given the emphasis on clearing the definition of work first and which are the works supposed to be considered as work and which is not work and there the puzzle lies. And I think still we are trying to find out those missing dots and trying to join all those dots saying while people are defining this is woman's work, then what is that non-work that you are saying? Because everybody knows that women work always. And Professor Tambe had uh, gone on to the second point which she, ta- where she talked about survival the question of survival, where she mentioned about how people are drawing upon the community resource, uh, resources, and how they're managing all those community resources. Being a social worker, I can reflect upon, since I was uh, trained um, in Shantiniketan, which is amidst the rural uh, areas, and we were being given the rural villages as our fieldwork practices, uh, there I first uh, got uh, exposed to the idea of community resource management. And definitely I must share from those days onwards, I found that women themselves are the best uh, users of community resources. And that I again got it uh, sanctioned by my own PhD while I worked with Community resource management, which is being done by the fisher folks communities, especially the women fisher folk women poly women laborers here in Bombay, even within this urban spaces and urban economy and how important it is while the people are taking decisions about their own community resources and managing them to draw their benefits to, uh, I mean, of course, benefits the entire community. It is not for the individual. So that requires lot of uh, role changes from I to we, which is sociologically always being looked at. I'm very sorry, but I must say, ma'am, uh, as Professor Bibuti is uh, present over here, being the economist, if we will go by the mainstream economists, there are very less, uh, what will I say, whether there are very less uh, chances to go beyond the limits of thinking in economic ideas of work and putting that concept of I and we in a triangle. But in case of sociology, I think that sociological tradition and sociological system teaches us to think about the journey between the I and the we and that's how there the woman persistently are trying to bring in a point within the community that we survive because of we and not as I. And I think Professor Tambe has uh, brought forth that through a lot of examples, and uh, she has uh, reflected upon on different other examples where we are utilizing community resources as women, and we are trying to do always, and that's where the basis of survival exists. Then her third point was about the resilience. I think the very uh, conspicuous uh, reflection that she has made today it is about the new community. Of course, uh, while she was defining that new community, she has picked up with with uh, i mean she has uh, reflected upon uh, many of the um, current uh, expressions that we are uh, looking at it by i mean of course which are coming up as budget uh, ghat which are coming up with a microfinance small groups which are coming up with a small associations small forums of women's workers yes one very significant point in this case of resilience that I'm trying to say, I think that women uh, today here in Indian context, at least for the informal sector, women are coming up and trying to ask the question through this new community about their own identity. And that's where it's very important that we need to hear those voices how are they raising the questions? Why and where are they taking it forward? So, this is a very good juncture, which uh, I think Professor Tambe was trying to highlight that resilience is very important at this moment where the Indian women who are working within the urban setup or the rural setup as informal workers are raising their voices and trying to create small foundations, small pillars, to ask for, to fight for their own identity, to create the space where they will be recognized as laborers, as workers. And there wouldn't be any sort of uh, uh, economical, I'm very sorry, Professor Bhibhuti Patel, it was not only economical or a mainstream economist definition to say that, only if I am doing a gainful, I'm, I'm engaged in a gainful employment, I should be considered as worker. No. So now these voices are coming up with these new communities where women are gathering together, raising many voices from different perspective, different working sector, and trying to make a point, make a voice, raise their voices to prove their own identity. Now, the question comes up at the end. Um, I need to ask Professor Tambe. with all these, where do we locate as women to talk about the dignity of labor? Yes, these definition of work, these challenges of survival, these possibilities of resilience are very important, but. Uh, are these giving us the dignity as labor, which is, I think the foundation stone for a labor to be recognized and to be survived and to be resilient at the end. So I need to know that only one question, what is your take on dignity of labor while you are talking about women in informal sector and what do you think that where are they?
1: Dr. Nandita Mondal, you have raised a very, very important issue. You have hit the nail. Where the mainstream economics treats only marketed activity as a work. So I think non mind, that is the tug of war between the mainstream neoclassical economist and the gender economist, because right from the very first conference of Indian Association of Women's Studies in 1981, there were three important dimensions women in politics, women in work, and women in law. So in women and work, highest number of papers were there, and all the studies, micro level studies, Between 1975 to 1981, because ICSSR gave a mandate in 1975 to focus on women in poverty groups, all of them were bringing out the same scenario, and especially the 1971 census had shown only 11% women as main workers. That means the whole chunk, rows of women doing unpaid family work of collection of fuel, fodder, water, animal care, kitchen gardening, none of them were covered. So I think it's a very important battle that we have. Even the very renowned economist of Sussex University at that time had written that collection of fuel, fodder, water, animal kitchen gardening and animal care should be treated as a leisure time activity. So how is it different from the Bollywood Raj Kapoor's uh, Satyam Srimam Sundaram in that lady who is going to collect the water and she's singing and dancing. And and, and and the- The
4: question comes up then, that if the women are doing, should it be always putting it in that quote unquote leisure? Or, quote unquote, it's a precarious, or if it is a precarious, then why is it that precarious? That options, yeah. that answers, those no. are the triviality attached to the woman's work. Okay. No, and plus calling it leisure
1: time activity itself would negate her backbreaking work. Like, yeah. uh, <laughs> the, the, if you do the time use analysis, then this is the most, and, and then, then you consider that woman is a sponge on the economy. She's not contributing to the economy. So now the current, even in the context of uh, pandemic, ma- massive debate that's going on is unpaid care work. So I think you have hit the nail very missing. And now the, 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 the floor is open for Q&A. Both uh, you, Dr. Professor Shruti Tambe, and Dr. Nanita Mandel, both of you are free to answer all the questions. The first question is from uh, Shoma K. Parthasati. Would you, Shoma ji, would you like to... Uh, unmute yourself and speak, or should I read it from the chat box or even see me read it? I don't know who, who is there. Our question is about the commons, that how in Maharashtra women uh, got the common property resources. What were the roadmap in which uh, the women, what was the trajectory no, of uh, women uh, gaining those commons. Could you please give references for the capture of commons for agriculture by Dalit women in Maharashtra? That's the question to Dr. Shulpita. As I said, these
2: were uh, campaigns and movements, especially in the 1970s, 80s and in 90s. In 70s and 80s, they were meted with brutal violence, as I was saying, but post-1990, There was one particular, there was so much of pressure from progressive movements and uh, groups that uh, Maharashtra government passed one GR. And in that GR, it was said, if you have a, a receipt of fine paid to your district administration for cultivating, trespassing and capturing land, then you can show that. And for 10 years, movement uh, activists were collecting those receipts. And on the basis of that particular GR and those uh, receipts that were put forth in the Bombay High Court, finally, pattas were redistributed. One particular name I'm very happy to share with you is that of Shantaram Pandere and his organization in uh, Aurangabad district. They have been successful in distributing almost uh, more than 500 more than 700 acres of land and this was collectively captured of course so uh, for example the shepherds have done it together or in a village some chamar women have done it together then some other dalit women came then some obc women came and in that fashion these have really expanded. Uh, in Vidarbha, there was a campaign too. So Vidarbha, uh, there was a campaign. These are loose groups, you know, there was not a very strong network, but there were groups in Vidarbha, there were groups in marathwada there were groups in West, Western Maharashtra, and they were loosely connected with one another. I still remember around 2010, this whole network had become really strong. And they were uniting themselves under uh, right to life and right to work. And using these two rights, these networks were very strongly coming out with their demands. And Eknath Abhad, a Dalit leader from Maratwada, was one of the very charismatic uh, entities who could you know, bring everyone together. And I still remember vividly. 2012 to 2011, 2012, 2013, there were these uh, network meetings which were really, really vibrant. Unfortunately, we lost Eknath Award after that. And then the network as such is not working together in the same way. But by the time, many pattas were already distributed. So the GR of the government was used and in the courts of law, Uh, these were produced as evidence of tilling and right to the tiller act was then used to demand those patta rights. And that is how ownership of land was uh, realized by these uh, women. And many women were in the forefront. Uh, In fact, last year, just before the pandemic, I know someone was collecting the narratives of those heroines. Who are now almost 70 plus and many have broken their hand broken their leg because of police brutality on a morcha or uh, when the fasal was ready the police would raid and that is a procedure so the police would raid but the beating used to be brutal because of the caste background so a dalit woman would be uh, very brutally treated by the police and that's why these Heroines are um, now quite old and um, uh, wounded also many of them. Yeah, I think I have answered.
1: Nagmani Rao, you have uh, twice you have written your detailed comments. Would you like to speak? Can you unmute and speak? Mm,
5: Actually, this is addressed to uh, both of you. Oh, I can't find where my question is now. Uh, there are two questions in QA. Okay. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Only I can't find my own questions. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, please. please. please.
2: Okay. Uh, uh, Nagamani is uh, asking a question that despite Shramashakti report uh, and Arjun Sengupta committee recommendations, issues about women in sector remain absent in policy measures which is a serious lacuna. (coughs) Now, uh, so the question is, uh, well, it has jumped for me as well. Okay, Uh, so the question is from her that, how do we organize collectively to get even the basic recognition as workers the system of registration has not taken off and sector-specific social security measures demanded by the movements have more often than not fallen on deaf ears. How can the state be compelled to address the legitimate demands of women informal sector workers and take the owner? Okay, I would say that uh, uh, based on my detailed research on women domestic workers, unions and organizations in four cities of Maharashtra, Uh, These were case studies based on extensive interviews of uh, activist leaders and activist participants and key informants. I would say that the pressure from uh, the informal sector workers itself worked, one. And two, obviously, the whole discourse at that time, around 2010, around 2008, was in fact uh, revolving around strengthening social security measures for the working classes. So in a sense, it was a juncture and I'm sure Professor Vibhuti Patel will highlight it more. uh, It was a juncture in the journey of expansion of neoliberal capital in India that it was realized um, that expansion of the market at the lower ranks of society can happen only when social protection and economic protection to the informal sector workers can be offered. And therefore, in a sense, the ruling class is also in a mood to give up something. And the working class is organized very strongly in the public sphere, the discourse and the discussions are very ripe. All of that came together at that time. Of course, ILO declaration, uh, the whole discussion around decent work was also there at that time. And I feel the global factors, the national factors, and the Maharashtra level factors really came together. I would love to share with you a success story that in Aurangabad, under the leadership of Subhash Lomte, who uh, has always made it a point that the Hamal uh, Workers Union and the Domestic Workers Union works together, they could get as many as 500 ration cards for domestic workers in their name for BPL status, which has not happened after that. So I think the pressure was too much at that time. And Europe and America were going through serious crises. This is, um, you remember 2008 uh, crisis. And uh, I still remember I was in Finland in a labor uh, uh, conference. And I was the only one amongst 11 representatives uh, representing their own nation states. And I was the only one stating that recently we have got uh, a welfare board for the construction workers, a welfare board for the domestic workers, a law at the national level for domestic workers, so on and so forth. Nowhere else there was retreat of labor laws, labor protection codes. So I think that time itself was ripe in more than one ways. What could be the way out? I think, again, the same. Uh, At that time, all the uh, unions were on a membership drive. And I remember in Pune, the membership numbers were as high as 4,000 for one union, 2,000 for another union, and a couple of hundreds for the third union. Today, if you go and ask, you don't find that kind of Uh, lively interaction and mobilization campaigns happening. So uh, I think from the grassroots, again, mobilization, membership drives and so on, and pressurizing the government. By the way, Mani, I would slightly contradict you. In the context of the pandemic right now, as we know in Maharashtra, the government has uh, declared a 3,000 rupee one-time compensation to domestic workers and rickshaw drivers. And uh, the Pune experience is very, very encouraging that the labor commissioner has already distributed some amount to domestic workers. Those who had registered after the 2009 legislation in Maharashtra, women who had receipts of registration with welfare board in 2011, 12, 13, 15, have got the payments already. So I think if the pressure is there and the discussions in the public sphere are also going around, that then
5: could be made. The oh, issue yeah. recognition. recognition. Yeah. Shruti, think Shruti I just government. want to interrupt you just for a second. Uh, registration is the crux. crux now the definitely. whole point is when you say 4,000, 2,000 and yeah. hundred yeah. in a city like Pune, that constitutes a very very minor percentage if you look at the spread <laughs> of pune and during the <laughs> pandemic yeah and during the pandemic what has happened is uh, uh, i did a paper some months ago last year in august uh, which focused on domestic workers sex workers and way-speaking women uh, as migrant workers and what uh, i found is that maybe out of uh, um, Domestic workers, about 20 to 25 percent had received full wages over the three-month period, the initial three-month period of lockdown. 50 percent had received wages only for the month of March, which they had already worked, uh, only a few days were left when lockdown. And 50 percent wages for April and nothing thereafter. Okay. And um, uh, almost 25 to 30. These are guesstimates, as uh, Kiran Moghe said. Uh, uh, did not get any wages, just a few you know, do you want some rations we'll make arrangements and later when I went into the vastis and talked to domestic workers for another project, what they had to say is that their wages have been suppressed because of lack of public transport they can only go to those places if they have somebody to drop them and uh, or whatever is in walking distance many of them have lost their work They say that they have not thrown us out, but they're not calling us back. So I think the whole wage suppression issue is still very high. And yes, registration should be done on a large scale. But the whole process of registration, as we all know, is rather tedious. And uh, so definitely, and the onus becomes again on the union. You know, It actually should be a state responsibility. My next question is actually, if you look at, say, even domestic workers as a sector, the actual contribution they are making, you know, uh, not only as Money, household... Labor
2: courts being uh, killed right now, hmm. the labor courts being repealed. I think uh, this is a very difficult juncture when we are saying that the onus has to be on the state. Right now, the via media seems to be only unions and civil society. Because, because the, the
1: state has already decided to cite the employers. Because, exactly, uh, the new labor exactly. courts have nothing for the workers. Everything is for the work. So if you depend on the state exactly. currently, they won't get even anything. So I think the pressure from below—that's the only uh, important thing uh, that that we need to do. Now I turn to Dr. It's Nandita Mondal and uh, the question by uh, Dia Majumdar: That what can be done to so that women's everyday unpaid care work or domestic chores doesn't get go unnoticed? and also how to do away with patriarchal notion that the woman alone who is responsible for care work at home. So over to Dr. Nandita Mondra. Yeah.
4: I think it's a very difficult question. And uh, even if uh, we all, whoever all here with all the silver streak, <laughs> cannot answer in one sentence, and we all put together our experiences that also will never answer this question in a black and white. Sorry for that, but I'll try my level best. I think um, what Professor Tambe today said, it's very important that there was always a, a, a war between a tradition and the modernity, and each one of them are having the contribution towards the human society around us to uh, make it more relevant, make it more facilitative. Now, in this case of women's work to to, uh, ensure that security is being given to the women's workers, specifically in case of uh, domestic workers or care workers, we need to bring out the qualitative results from the field more and more and more and more and create a proper um, uh, voice hard at right point of the time where the policy level, well, we are pushing this agenda forcefully, saying that we need the recognition, we need the recognition and we need the recognition. Because until that is recognized, the care work, each one of them, whatever minute care work that, each woman of us, like us, we are doing within our household sphere. If we are not documenting it and if we are not making it public, if we are not making it hard in black and white, we cannot make a point. And hence, that's what I'm saying that each one of us. We are present here with all this silver streak and thinking and working and uh, reading and researching. Even if we will put together all those efforts, that fails to make the people who are making policy uh, awakened to this question to answer. So, so uh, we need to be very strategic enough. We need to be very uh, keen to look at it that how we are spending our own time as women. Within the home, maybe it will be different perspective from one person at one place in one culture, one ethnic uh, environment to another part of our country because it will be very different for us, and we cannot standardize those again. The way we are experiencing the lives within the city of Bombay may be very different than a two-tier city or three-tier city, but that does not mean. The women who are raising their voices from the three-tier city should not should be unrecognized. That has to be recognized but because each one of them are making a sum together to raise the voice to bring the change in the public policy. When we are defining public, that woman in the three-tier city and the woman from from a uh, from a, my, I mean the city like Bombay we we need to take uh, recognition of their voices so i think the job is very difficult uh, but it is not impossible and recently we have seen
1: that 2010 onwards increasing number of judgments of Supreme Court High Court session court and family courts have acknowledged housework especially in the case of accident compensation where the housewife life was taken. even in the divorce cases we have seen that uh, this thing that uh, if the husband doesn't is refusing to give maintenance then the time use analysis how much time this woman dedicated to, uh, for for building the uh, for, for the family uh, this thing and community building that is counted. So notionally it has been accepted, but general what we need to do as Dr. Wandu said, we recognition, official recognition of care work, housework, unpaid care work and for the first time, our country has come up with a time use uh, document. The time use analysis uh, was uh, put in public domain in 2020 based on the 2019 data. But it is a recall method. They have used of previous 24 hours. What all did you do? And it is divided into personal work, care work, and paid work. So both marketed and non-marketed activities are taken care of. Uh, they have, uh, uh, Can
2: I add uh, a little bit, Vibhuti, here? Yeah. Uh, I think this whole issue of uh, how do we really bring it back and how do we really talk again about care being important uh, contribution of women. I think one must also understand conceptually that globalization has a double face. So on the one hand, it looks very progressive and technology and, you know, it's like uh, the modern world has arrived. On the other hand, it also encourages a lot of conservatism. So globalization across the globe brings uh, this Janus face development and therefore uh, you might remember that uh, Center for Monitoring Economy had published a report how in the recent years women's employment has gone down and especially in organized sector and urban economies. So you will find that uh, upper class, upper caste women with highly specialized degrees have chosen to say that I'm looking after my house, I'm looking after my child, and I want to dedicate myself to the family. So this is the reversal of the ideology of the 70s, 80s, 90s, when young girls were always uh, groomed to become workers in the public world. Now it's exactly the other way around. And it's also the game plan of economy where the pay packet is compared, how much the husband is getting, how much the wife would get. And I then know. the husband saying, you cook and look after the house and be at home. So this trend also, we must remember that globalization increases the spread of the ideology that a woman is a homemaker a woman should be beautiful and gentle and she should raise a child and so on. And therefore, uh, obviously the approach to uh, economy and jobs becomes very different. And that is also one point.
1: No, but there, there also is a dualism because it is one standard for upper caste, upper class women and the other standard for the working class women who can be super exploited, who can be made to work for 12 to 16 hours, violating all the labor standards so i think here also the way western countries they treat colored women people yeah yeah so that that dualism we, we should be even say. at surrogate mothers the same uh, upper yeah. class
2: uh, woman would use a lower class woman yes. woman correct. informal sector
4: so theoretically between that journey of between i and we as women, Forming that as community as women to talk about all the women on this geopolitical uh, state on this, I mean of course as existence of women are having also a fractured voice. So because until of it fractured, yes, until it will be yes, until yeah. it will be fractured, we cannot make a dent in this public policy people who are really oblivious of this. Voice. No, but the pressure so from below
1: is very important. The pressure from
4: him. yeah. So Mr. Satyajit yeah.
1: from Assam, he wants to know about the four, four labor codes. Uh, would anyone like to speak, Dr. Nandita, or would you like to speak? What, what, what is there in the four labor codes in nutshell as compared to the earlier 48 national labor legislation? okay so i would like to say that these four labor codes which deal with the wages industrial relations occupational health and safety uh, and the social security and social protection all of them none of the labor codes mention women as workers the whole discourse even the drafting and the language of labor code is in terms of he him and his know where there is a her (laughs) or this thing. Uh, Another thing that women are not mentioned in any other way including safety when the question of occupational safety also sexual harassment at workplace which according to World Bank is a most devastating occupational hazard of the 21st century is also not mentioned. Only when it comes to maternity benefits women as women workers are mentioned. So that way I think there is a complete invisibility of women in this whole discourse on labor code. My Migration, Even for the migrant worker, their migrant worker is considered to be a male migrant worker. There is no nothing about the women migrant workers who are in a large number, not only interstate and uh, rural urban, but even cross country migration, women workers are there, both as professional like nurses and uh, white collar people and also mass of women as a domestic workers and cooks and uh, other support staff and service sector workers. So uh, at the gig economy, even when it talks about gig economy, there is nothing about women who are in a large number, they are, whether they are beautician or they are service provider, uh, in a a, a, lot of platform-based activities which women are doing. So there is a complete invisibilization of women as workers and women's groups have uh, taken strong objection. Currently now these labor codes are like postponed, but I think we have to continue the discourse on this. Now there are uh, some more questions from Supriya Tabassum, Suraya Tabassum. Uh, is asking Professor, Tambe that you have rightly highlighted resilience capability of women workers in informal sector, apart from community participation, how do you foresee accountable role of state machinery in these regards?
2: I don't know, because as Professor Vibhuti just now told us, the state is not ready to uh, take the responsibility and be accountable in this. So I think in a democratic, in the true democratic spirit of our own uh, social life, we should uh, force the state to be accountable and take that responsibility. And uh, apart from resilience, I would say, again, pressurizing for, uh, uh, for example, repealing of these labor codes or reformulation of these labor codes so that women workers are acknowledged as serious partners in GDP contribution and not just covered away as, uh, you know, the uh, objects of charity. That should be our own approach
1: that's yeah. all i can
2: offer
1: i think the, uh, Ms. Vijaya miss vijayalakshmi also i think has saying the same thing that what is state doing and, and currently the whole question of informality and invisibility is maintaining status quo so what is the role of the state we Would uh, miss vijayalakshmi would you like to speak because she has also written in chat box Another comment and uh, she has talked about the women's market in Meghalaya in Imphal and how it uh even under the lockdown when all other shops are allowed to get open but this one is still not allowed. So the discriminatory attitude of the state. Vijayalakshmi, would you like yes, to say uh, Yes, yeah. Bhuti,
6: ma'am. thank you very much. Can uh, you hear me? Yeah, we I, mean, I can we can Okay, you know, it was uh, Shruti, it was a wonderful insight. Thank you very much. But again, you know, since I'm from Northeast, you know, uh, I start taking examples from there. First of all, the conceptual question, as to this whole, the way you had this problem uh, with the definition of work, I have this whole problem with this concept of formality and informality. And, uh, you know, and uh, the, the moment you define something informal, you make it, uh, you, you, you take it in a very, very frivolous manner, so to say. For example, Ima Kethil is a such a historical, it defines Manipur. Okay, and then people, uh, you know, are cashing on it by writing on them and this and that. Not a single government policy till now uh, on, on, on them. And then uh, in, the, in the whole, uh, you know, Padil, um, please enlighten me in this whole, uh, you know, calculation of this market value. In this whole market value system of Manipur, the, the market of immokethel is never, uh, uh, you know, is never part of this whole statistics sub, uh, you know, subtopics. You know, it, it is never there. So the moment you push a, a sector or push a, a, a something in, into informality, you make it you you treat it in a very very you know you ignore it. You you have a accountability to ignore it. Mm-hmm. Now, similarly, when we talk about the, uh, you know, the, More, the, the Burma and Manipur trade, which is called the More yeah. trade, you know, it mm-hmm. is a majority of the goods are under the informal trade. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was in China, me and another scholar, we were saying, why, why can't we make every single trade uh, into a formal sphere? And that is the only way we can differentiate between a trade and an illegal trade. You know, Mm. because otherwise the illegal trade penetrates into the informality of the trade and, you know, get legitimized. So this Mm. whole gamut of formality, informality, you know, we have to disband it. We have to disband it completely because work is work, you know, and the trade is trade, market is market, you know. So I I have very huge problem with this, uh, you know, informality, formality. Now to, uh, you know, just add on to uh, this whole example of Satyam Shivam Sundaram, I also have a, uh, lots of examples, but one of the striking example is that when I was a gender and NGO coordinator in International Fund for Agriculture Development a few years ago, and uh, there was I was formulating, of course, gender policies and then uh, you know, I got a, a very interesting, uh, you know, th- th- my main aim was to bring water to the village, village, villages, because we were in the remote villages, and the water uh, distances are very long. You know, the I got a comment from the natural resource management director. I don't know whether I should name him, but I really feel like naming him. But, uh, you know, he actually told me You know, Vijay Lakshmi, you're spoiling the cultural matrix of the village because if you bring water to the village, the women will stop taking their, you know, matkas, going to the river source. And and therefore, they will not be able to gossip or they will not be able to discuss about their marriage relationships of their children. You know, so you are finishing the cultural matrix by bringing water to the village. You know, I don't know. You tell me whether I should name this person or not. You know, it is because it is such a sinful thing to say. Yeah. When the Karnataka... Similarly, when Karnataka Watershed Development
1: asked me to do the gender training of electrical engineer, metallurgical engineer, civil engineer, pipeline engineer, and environmental engineer of Karnataka, and when I talked about the water, and I quoted Indira Rajaraman's study, that on an average Indian woman uh, spends 6.2 years of her life in collecting water, and had she been relieved by tap water, she would have at least gone to school for six years. So they said, No, oh, ma'am, what are you talking? We have pouches. No, now you can get them. Or you can buy one rupee God. pouch. You get from My God. Village.
2: All My engineers, God.
1: talk. They say, What are you talking Ingen- of getting water? You, you can get it for one rupee, no pouch. Ma'am. These are urban engineers, no, and they were they were. yeah. So, how to
6: really that. possibly penetrate into this iron balls of patriarchy? I just don't know. It is It's very difficult to work, uh, in, in such a situation. Yeah, but that... I think women in decision
1: making 50% reception, wherever the panchayat women are very, very robust and uh, vociferous, they have been able to bring changes, so <laughs> that, I think... yeah. Yeah, I
6: have I, I also seen that, but then you know, this whole yeah. policy level initiative, it's a, it's a very long. Gender. More, more
1: gender sensitive people in the policy, no, and we we have to uh, like actually consider it as a priority to enter those structures and uh, uh, bring women's voices. No?
7: Yeah. can I come in for a minute here?
1: Yes, 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 please, please.
7: Um, I'm sorry. I just wanted to make a point that uh, Shruti had raised. It's very important at this juncture. Um, the whole issue of uh, the census operations that are happening now. Yeah. Uh, we should uh, anticipate that and really look at how data systems are capturing or not capturing women's work yes. and recognizing their contribution. Because that's the basis for entitlements also. And it's being used in such a way that communities are being denied of the basic needs for livelihood and life. And at this time, that's very critical. So, I think researchers, policy analysts, as well as the activist groups like uh, Makam, which I represent, we yeah. really need to put our heads together to yeah. look at what we managed to achieve in the 91 census yeah. and to look at how the data yeah. systems, including census, NSS is doing some of that, but we need to strengthen that as well as within departments. How can data systems be uh, better gender disaggregated to capture women's work and to recognize them even as workers? Both mm-hmm. these things are missing, and we really need to do much more concerted work on that. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. It so was an really enjoyable discussion. Yeah.
2: yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. Thank you for that. I think we really need to work on the census right now. It's That's really urgent.
1: True. Yeah. I think in that ninety-one census process, I was also very much involved yeah, because the responsibility was, was, it was, was given together. to Research yeah. Center for Women's Studies. So yes. even to get one word added, because in question number 14, mm. what women do in your home, and they would say head mm. of the household was nothing. Right? What mm. all women do in your home? so in that all that addition it brought out the division of personal and work care work and, work and
7: the and the official that is very important. also yeah yeah. yeah yeah
1: so i yeah. think it's very visibility of yeah. women in statistics and indicators i think we all have to co- join hands because that time we it was could all by now by, we should all be prepared i think vibhuti and in a mm-hmm. consorted fashion yeah
2: uh, district after district will have to work together i think correct
1: yeah, I
7: suggest yeah. we should have a meeting on that and bring us all together again, please. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think now we have, I think, answered all the questions and I think it was a very, very lively and uh, extremely enriching discussion that we had. And now we would like to conclude the session by saying that uh, we, first of all, we uh, express our heartfelt thanks to both uh, Dr. Shruti Tambe as well as uh, uh, Dr. Nandita Mondal. And I think uh, we would say that government has to make efforts like, uh, the, uh, uh, and they need to be geared to, uh, say, recognize the problems and provide necessary relief through increasing opportunities for rural women with M.G. and other public works programs, recognize women as farmers to include them in provisions extended by government for relief of farmers recognize supply chain disruption, which has currently caused uh, due to to lockdown uh, to women's Mm -hmm. businesses, whether they are self-employed or create separate funds for regeneration of women's businesses, both in own. Uh, account enterprises, both as own account enterprises and also within the cooperatives or that experience of infall that women's market. Women migrants uh, who often work as domestic workers, construction workers, factory workers in garment, electronic and several manufacturing small and medium and micro industries. And they are also petri retailers of vegetables, fruits, other daily essentials. So these are all informal women workers who are finding it difficult to return to work and also thus relief measures for the post-COVID scenario needs to pay attention to facilitate women's re-entry into these sectors with proper remuneration and social security coverage. As ASHA workers and uh, Agarwadi workers, they are also fighting to be recognized as workers because they are the employees of the state and still they are called volunteers and given honorarium. Government should uh, use this as an opportunity to revisit the strategies of employment generation to include women as central actor and focus on increasing and strengthening both wage and self-employment opportunities in the next few months. And the overarching concern uh, if for all of us, I think, it is that formalize the informal sector. They need to be the. the uh, and India is signatory to the ILO uh, Covenant on decent work 2019. And that's why I think it, it is very important for the state to, uh, to come up with a very comprehensive plan for this thing. There is enough naming and shaming of India has taken place even in the uh, World Economic Forum representative <laughs> of the uh, employers, but uh, that India's work participation has gone down to 18%. Now I give both uh, Professor Shruti Tambe to wrap up and Dr. Nandita Mandal. Uh, to two minutes to wrap up the situation. We have, uh, we have we'll be uh, completing six, two hours of discussion. So
2: thank you so much, uh, Professor Vibhuti Patel. You have been such a inspiring figure for years. It's so nice to uh, have you as chair for this program. I think this was also um, an opportunity for me to reflect upon how to bring together the themes of informality and resilience together. Because uh, in SDGs, there's so much of talk about resilience. But what I was trying to say was, this is, and in my slide, I hope you can all see my slides. This resilience is by compulsion. It's because state is not giving constant support. It's because uh, families are patriarchal. Women workers have nothing else but their resilience to go ahead in life. But how could we bring communities based on resilience is the issue I'm grappling with. And I'm so thankful that Soma Parthasarthi from Makam is here, which itself is a very good example of how uh, micro communities based on resilience as a networking principle can be built in today's times. And I think from there, we should draw for more and more sectors. It's not enough just to talk about farmers and farm labor. But about sex workers, about domestic workers, about supply chain uh, employees, various kinds of women workers will have to again get into probably forming their associations, organizations, unions, because in my study, I could see that these are also steps. Many times women don't want to become members of unions in the first place. But if there is a community-based organization where her domestic violence case is taken, where her child's education issue is solved, then she's slightly opening up to the issue of unionizing. So that's why I use the terminology of organization, association, union very consciously. And that could be a way for building up these resilient communities because in the post-COVID scenario, I don't think the economy will be Uh, strong very quickly and I don't think our uh, governments, uh, this institution of state is in any way right now in a mood to accept uh, responsibility and accountability. So in such a scenario, building micro communities and starting discussions in the public sphere is a two-pronged strategy that I would suggest. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mipri, for giving me this opportunity. Thank you all for your valuable comments. It was a learning experience for me
1: so now, Dr. Nandita Mondel, what would you like to say, as a concluding remark?
3: Ma'am, please unmute yourself. Nandita, ma'am, you have to unmute yourself.
4: Thank you very much, uh, yes. Professor Patel, to give me this opportunity. And thank you, IMPRI, to give me uh, this uh, platform to raise the voice and uh, Hear the voices of different women who are working for a long period of time, and it's really a pleasant uh, session that uh, Professor Tambe had given a very uh, intriguing lecture. And I think what Professor Tambe has mentioned as his second, as her second uh, point, uh, today's lecture is survival. I think informality is always uh, entwined with the question of survival, and we, the women, are always, at that point of time, always uh, trying to fight for the survival, wherever we are, whichever positions we are. Now, if we are there, we need to make the voice hard. We need to make our labor never uh, labeled as dignity or dignified labor so how will we do that i think that's the question that we should work for uh, now onwards together and post pandemic situation made it a point and opened it uh, i think uh, in a in a magnanimous way that we need to start this question uh, right now and try to find out the answer as early as possible thank you very much
1: so
3: over to Dr. Arjun Kumar. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Yes, yes, ma'am. You can hear me.
7: Yeah.
3: Yes. So I would really like to thank uh, uh, all of you for attending this uh, very important discussion today on women workers in India, informality, survival, and resilience, uh, by Professor Shruti Dhamle, ma'am, and, uh, 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 on behalf of gender impact study center at impact and policy research institute we thank all of you those who are watching it live here on zoom and facebook and those who will be watching it later on youtube and on, on our podcast for this our the state of gender equality hashtag gender gap series so let me once again thank all of you thank you
2: thank you sir thank you.
3: yes Yes, our uh, and uh, uh, Professor Vibhuti Patel, and our discussion, uh, uh, Doctor Nandita Ma'am, and uh, Nagmani Rao Ma'am, and all the uh, all others who have uh, raised questions uh, uh, in this very important discussion. So, with that, uh, have a nice evening, everyone, and please take here. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you, sir. Very very lively discussion. So educated.
3: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very nice.
7: Thank you. Have Thank you. Thank, you. A nice <laughs> day. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Mean, Bhuti, let's follow up on this. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
4: Yeah. Yes, yes. We require yeah. to do much more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: And in very bad times, I suppose, unlike
1: 1990. Yeah, yeah. It's a really yeah. very bad time.
2: But yeah. I'm in, just count me in if you are starting an initiative around census, please. Yeah, yeah definitely. thank you, bye. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank Thanks. you, bye. bye. bye.